I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. Uh, what got you there? What got you? Got you? If you're enjoying the podcast, then you might want to check out some of the other things I'm working on behind the scenes. I put out a weekly newsletter called Momentum Monday, which is just a quick synthesis of everything I've been reading, listening to, and watching during the week. I also do a once-a-month deep dive called The Distillery, which is a long-form distillation on someone whose thinking has greatly impacted me. You can check out past distillations of Josh Waitskin, Yen Liao, and Nick Konis, and everything else we're putting on at whatgotyouthere.com. Get ready, because today's episode is epic. I sit down with Chris Houth, who's a two-time Olympic swimmer, an Ironman age group world champion, and ultra-endurance coach who works with world champions, but he also coaches people who are looking to challenge themselves and step more into their potential. And that's what this episode is all about. It's discovering your purpose, getting clarity about what you're going after, and then setting an intention to show up as that future best version of yourself in all that you're doing. Chris talks us through the mindsets and training techniques that he's used for the last 30 years to bring out the best in whatever it is you're going after. This episode definitely isn't only for endurance athletes, but anyone who wants to discover more of their potential and bring it out. I am thrilled to tell you about my new online personal growth course called You Unleashed. You Unleashed is for those people looking to burst through the walls of their previous limitations and fears and tap into your greater potential or what I call your You Unleashed self. This course is a culmination of the best things I've learned being a professional athlete, entrepreneur, investor, and spending thousands of hours sitting down with world-class performers on this podcast to uncover what you need to raise your potential to a new level. This course is going to give you clarity of what an extraordinary life looks like and who you need to become in order to achieve that life. Now, I'll provide you with the mindsets, behaviors, and actions you need to bring out your unleashed self. You'll uncover your deeper why, your values, and your life philosophy that will guide you moving forward. So the question is, why haven't you unleashed your full potential yet? You only get one shot at this life, so what are you waiting for? You're meant to become more and extraordinary. So if you're interested in stepping into your potential and cultivating the type of life you've been dreaming of, then check out my You Unleashed course by clicking below or going to whatgotyouthere.com forward slash you dash unleashed. And because you listen to the podcast, I'm giving you 50% off the course for a limited time by using code WGYT at checkout. That's whatgotyouthere.com forward slash you dash unleashed. I have to tell you about the product I'm obsessed with right now. And when I say obsessed, I mean it. I am honestly obsessed and using this continually. So this is my Brava Smart Oven. So I actually used a Brava at a friend's house a few weeks ago. And after using it, I said I have to reach out to the team at Brava and bring them on as a partner of the podcast because of how much I love my Brava Smart Oven. So Brava is the world's fastest and most advanced smart oven that cooks with the power of light. So I had no idea about this, but cooking with light is actually two to four times faster than any other cooking technology. So being a busy father with two kids, I need something that's going to cook delicious, healthy meals, is really fast and super convenient. 
And my Bravo checks the box on all three of those. Just last night, I whipped up a mouth-watering salmon. You know, one of the ones with the, the crispy, flaky outside, but then juicy, tender inside. And I also had a side of broccoli and butternut squash, and I cooked this all to perfection at the same time. It doesn't matter if it's breakfast, dinner, dessert. My Brava takes care of it all. So when I said it was fast and convenient, the team at Brava honestly knocked this out of the park. Imagine cooking your entire meal just with the press of a button. All you do is select what you're cooking, load your tray, and press the green button. They have thousands of fully automated recipes created by professional chefs, so your meal is perfect every single time. And a really crazy part, Brava regularly updates with new recipes and cooking modes all for free. There really isn't a more convenient and impressive cooking experience I've ever had. Cook crispy, bubbly pizza in 10 minutes, eggs and toast at the same time. You can even do a tray of roasted potatoes in 15 minutes, all with zero preheating. And one really fun thing, my my kids love watching this, is you can actually watch your food cook on the Brava app, which is just really fun. It's like having an automated sous chef right at your side. So if you want to start having healthier, better meals, check out brava.com and make sure to enter code what got you there at checkoff for $200 off. Yes, $200 off. That's www.brava.com and at checkout enter code what got you there. If you're someone who's looking to join a hyper growth company that's global and 100% remote, then you might want to listen up and hear all about the exciting job opportunities at Clipboard Health. Most of us have known someone who never got the health care they needed. You know, one of those people who fell through the cracks. That's because America's hospitals are short-staffed. They don't have enough nurses, so patients don't get the care they deserve. I've personally had family members not get the care they deserve, which is why I appreciate and care so much about what Clipboard Health is doing. Clipboard Health matches nurses with hospitals and nursing homes so that patients get the care they need and nurses find the work they want. Clipboard Health is fixing a broken healthcare staffing marketplace, and they're also scaling a hyper-growth business at the exact same time. Clipboard Health is a Silicon Valley unicorn, and they're looking for people to join their mission to fix staffing in healthcare and give nurses more opportunities. Clipboard Health is looking for great software engineers, product managers, and operations leaders to join them today. They're global, and remember, they're 100% remote, so no matter where you live in the U.S. or the world, they want to talk to you. You can check out great opportunities at clipboardhealth.com forward slash WGYT. That's clipboardhealth.com forward slash WGYT. Are you looking for a delicious and healthy nutrition bar that is keto-friendly, low-sugar, and protein-infused? If so, look no further than New School Snacks, who's reinventing the low-sugar snacking revolution. Now, for me, health is one of the biggest things I think about, and eliminating the sugar from my diet is crucial, and that's why I love New School Snacks. So if you're one of those people who also want to change the way you approach nutrition and snacking, then head to NewSchoolSnacks.com for great deals on their collagen bar loaded with healthy fats from MCT oil, and while you're there, pick up one of their brand new mouth-watering French Toast Crunch Bars. That's NewSchoolSnacks.com. Chris, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Great to talk to you. Yeah, I'm so excited to dive into so much, but I would actually love to know if there was a mindset of yours that you could pass on, you could gift this to any of the athletes you worked with, so they all had it. What's a mindset of yours that you would pass on? Well, most of my athletes already know this, but that is that anybody can have the athlete's mindset. Um, That's the important thing. It's not a talent. It's not a skill. It's an attribute. And the beauty of a good mindset is that anybody can apply it. 
For example, you know, how Michael Phelps prepares for a swim race, that's not a question of skill or talent. It's his mindset. And we can prepare the same way with intention, with purpose, with clarity, with showing up with the proper mindset, as well as how we prepare for whatever it is we're preparing for, whether it's our first 5K or it's getting ready for the Olympics. It's a mindset and you don't need to be skilled or talented at it. You can have the same approach and apply it to yourself. One of the things I'm always intrigued by is those mindsets that get ingrained over time and some of those detrimental. I'm wondering for you, what are those detrimental mindsets that perhaps a lot of your athletes come into your coaching with that you kind of have to shift a bit? Or maybe you use different language. That's not how you approach it. I'm just wondering if that is the case. Well, that's a good question. Um, I haven't thought of it from an aspect of how they come into it. Um, I do repeat the mantra of how you do one thing is how you do everything. And so what I often notice from my athletes coming into what I do, which is more endurance training, um, adventures, expeditions, uh, you know, long solo (laughs) adventures in your head, especially when you're on a trail for 36, 96, 120 hours. That is um, what who you are will display itself over time, especially in the training, what your inconsistencies are, how you approach one thing is how you approach everything. And I can tell after doing this for 25, 30 years of coaching now, who you are after about six weeks and that's where the work begins. Interesting. I'm really intrigued by that like six-week parameter. Is that just based on the workload they're doing at that time, that like their true nature comes through, or are there other factors just based on timing there? Yeah, no, I wouldn't say that that's a specific uh, uh, factor coming through. It's just more that you can't hide your inconsistencies mm-hmm. for that long. Yeah. And your pathway of what you're looking to do, as I like to say, who you're willing to become, will gently display itself. And then we're really working together. Before that, you know, what I like to say is we open the magazine, an uh, outside magazine or some, um, you know, camping magazine or backpacking magazine, or we go into an REI, right? And we see those awesome posters on the wall. And that inspires us, right? That gives us the impulse to dream, as I like to say. Well, that's all good and great when you sign up for the event or the adventure or you recruit your team and now here you go. Well, after about six weeks, reality sets in. The hours needed for training, even if they're not a lot, we already have busy lives. As I like to say, we all went pro in something other than the sport we're endeavoring, stealing that from the NCAA. Um, that is, um, you know, and so here we are, we're working, we've got a family, and now we also got to insert this time or find this time to do this adventure, this expedition in some cases. There's something completely out of the box that inspires us. And so now after six weeks, reality has set in and who you are will really display itself. And again, we get to do the work now to navigate our way through what are already um, lots of responsibilities and not necessarily burdens, but we have to figure out how to fit this training and who you want to be on event day now. Right. And that's uh, sort of what I talk about with you know, the athlete's mission statement. And that is your understanding of who you want to be come the event, what sacrifices you want to make with regards to work and family and what, what, what boundaries you place on yourself on who you don't want to be. 
I don't want to be that guy who misses all my kids' soccer games. I don't want to be that mom who's completely stressed out. So you can already hear, I don't work with elites and professionals. I work with the everyday person who has that impulse to dream still and to do this endurance adventure that they're curious about. Why not me? Why can't I do this? Um, I've always wondered what I could do. I never had the opportunity to get or to find the time. How can we navigate that path? And so that athlete mission statement is about setting boundaries of who I don't want to be. I don't want to be stressed out. um, short-tempered, miserable, so that when the finish line comes of the event, because you will finish, I'll I'll get you ready for that. It's just more a question of of your support team. Do they say, thank God that's over. You were a complete jerk for the last six months. Or they say, you know what? That was an amazing journey that we all went on together. And that understanding, that mindset, that prep, that clarity up front sets up the success of your journey and how it will unfold for the next six months, 18 months, it depends on whatever adventure you're getting ready for. Um, a completely different experience. It sets your experience. A, a few of the things you're talking about here, it kind of sounds like one of the, those hot buzzwords. Um, and that's just overall balance. I know you have some opinions around balance, and I would love to just hear your latest thinking around balance yeah. when, when you're yeah. going after one of these. Yeah, as you know, <laughs> you've heard, I don't like the word balance. Um, that's the thing. I don't believe there's balance. I believe there's windows of time where things become of higher priority than the others. There's windows in our life where we need to focus on work and the athlete self and the family self sometimes falls to the background. Hopefully the athlete self more than the family self. Um, and then there's other windows where the family self becomes very involved and needs to step up. I call that the three-legged stool. Um, and that's a three-legged stool and it can't really stand upright and be sturdy if you don't have three legs on it. So we want that third leg, the athlete self, what I call personal care, self-care, um, where you're focused on your own development and growth, which I do and talk about via endurance. Then there's the professional self is one of the legs of the stool. And then the family self, the, the leg of the stool. Well, if the three are in balance, that's very hard to do. That the, that the level, the seating area on top is perfectly balanced. There's times where the work leg of the stool is longer and the family and athlete self of the stool are shorter. doesn't mean you can't sit on it. It's just that there's different priorities. Trying to balance it perfectly all the time turns what I, what I call it into a transactional experience, meaning I'm just doing this because I said I would do it not for the joy and the curiosity and the passion for why I've signed up for this in the first place. And that spills into our family self. Now that's transactional. Well, I need to pay it. I need to sit here at dinner. I need to spend time with my children. I need to be at this soccer game. No, we don't want that. We want intentional time. We want to be fully present. We want the space to actually be fully there and enjoy the moment with our children with our partner at work, fully apply ourselves with our curiosity and passion and creativity that we can to make work worthwhile. And so trying to balance too much and inserting the puzzle pieces all the time that when you're looking at your daily calendar and you're going, okay, I can fit that there and I can fit that there and I can do this. And yeah, I did it all today, but did you really? Did you really show up with intention, with 
a plan with a prescription of who you want to be. I talk a lot with athletes, you know, and as you can hear, it's a lot of this is about mindset. I talk about switching roles. You know, when Clark Kent goes into the phone booth and changes to Superman, there's a moment there where you get to choose who you want to be. Who do I want to be walking into this meeting? Who do I want to be walking into my home after a day at work or leaving the other room from Zoom calls to into the kitchen or whatever it is? But the point is, we can choose how we show up in every one of those situations multiple times a day. Who do I want to be for this employee in my, in my meeting now? Who do I want to be as an athlete for this workout now? And that question, that prompting question really digs into showing up with intention and making our time that we're already sacrificing a lot for worthwhile. Hmm. And any other insights into the different roles we play? I think about this as transitions. And it's one of the things I struggle with personally, right? Like even even on a day I'm recording a podcast, I literally like, I still get the same internal feelings I did when I played sports where it's it's like game day. And I have a tough Mm -hmm. time on transitions where a, a certain event like this. And I'm wondering, is there anything else you have your athletes do that can help with that? Yeah. Well, for me, roles are about expectations, right? Who do I see myself being? And if we place those expectations into something that's not in our current reality, then the mind starts playing tricks on us. Um, But when it's within something that we can visualize and something that we can create parameters around, then we can optimize what that is. But if it's not a reality, if it's up and beyond who we can be, meaning let's say in athletic results, if I'm suddenly going to pretend I'm a runner that I'm not, or I'm a swimmer that I'm not, or I'm a climber that I'm not, then anxiety and uncertainty kick in. And many will say anxiety plus uncertainty create fear. And we don't want those. If you have anxiety by itself, that's normal. That's fine. It's a future worry. We're worried about the outcome. We care about it. That's okay to have. Uncertainty is a kid on Christmas Eve before opening gifts. You know, you're not sure what you're going to get. You're excited. But you put those two emotions together. Now you're creating a fear. And that is something we want to avoid. So we have to be very in tune with our own expectations of who we can be and who we want to be. And that doesn't mean putting a cap on it, a limiter on it, but we also want to see, I, this is where I'll pivot for a second. Uh, The beauty is we can believe and live out who we want to be in the future today. That's the great thing about mindset. But we also, as you know, from training, we can't jump ahead of who we are to where we want to be. That's the dichotomy of this, right? So we have to train where we are in order to become who we want to be. And when those two intersect and get too far away from each other, let's say you're doing something athletically or even work-wise that you're not currently capable of because you're not doing where you are, you're doing where you want to be, then things get out of um, alignment and you get anxiety and uncertainty and you move into a fear state. Um, And so that constant juggling of expectations and current reality is very important in order to optimize and be successful in the moment to be your best current version of ourselves. So many times we compare ourselves to our younger self, how we once were as athletes, or to our future self, to who we want to be with regards to what we're capable of. But that doesn't place us into the best current version of ourselves with regards to knowledge and experience and um, capabilities. And we're, we're 
we're plenty. We are always plenty. And we're on our path to who we're going to become anyway. We think we're in so much control, but we're not really. If you go from it from a higher spiritual aspect. And so accepting and being confident that we're plenty in the moment and that we're tracking towards who we want to be. That's the excitement. That's where the fun is. That's where the, um, the, the, the curiosity and passion truly come together. And what many will say starts a flow state. Hmm. Can, can you even go further of that future self? Because I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like this might evolve my thinking here. The way I think about this usually is around like I, I'm trying to condense and collapse time, meaning mm-hmm. I have a, a vision of the future self that I want to be. And we can put away some of those physical attributes that obviously have to get worked on and trained on and, and built on. But there are certain values and there are certain things that I can act out in the moment. So that's how I picture the collapsing of time. I'm trying to embody that future self based on values and principles in this current moment because I can control that. I can show up with that. And then based on those over time, I can also train up the skills and then meet that future version. Yeah, that's what many will argue is mental representations, right? If you visualize properly, you're creating mental representations in your mind of who it is you'll be. And when you're not being that, you're out of alignment and quickly your brain fires differently. It knows because you've envisioned it. Um, We see it in athletics. If you envision your race, your event, your game going a certain way, all the movements, I'm talking about even how you hold the stick to how you're running, how your feet hit the ground to how you're breathing. Now, great thing is that can be applied in training right? You can go through those mental representations. And when you're not doing it, you can course correct and you can optimize your training to make it more purposeful practice, more deliberate training time. And you can accelerate yourself to the place you want to become. Same thing happens with mindset. If you visualized exactly how you want to be, what you will be like in that room, public speaking, what you're going to be breathing and wearing and how you're going to drink water and what the room looks like and so forth, as you're prepping for that every single time, that way, when you're in that moment, you can course correct because you've practiced and rehearsed and done this activity so many times, you're almost observing yourself doing it. And it just becomes a question of execution then versus thinking about what I'm doing in the room and all the people and, oh my God, and the the air and the darkness and the spotlight on me and the stage and the magnitude, all that's already been worked through. And so mental representation, visualizing what you're talking about of your future state becomes almost like a blueprint of how the building is being built right? You can see on that blueprint of what you are going to look like. And that's why it's so important to write it out, whether in journaling or to visualize on an exercise daily, monthly, weekly, right? Where you constantly are honing the blueprint of the building, the version of you, you're going to build. That's the fun, right? The fun is making the additions to the blueprint, making the adaptations and continuing to hone who you're going to become so that once the building stands, you are the version of who you think you, who who you want to become. It's already done. You already saw it all the time on the blueprint. Do you use visualization a lot with your athletes? Yes, a ton. A ton. And it's hard in an endurance event, right? When you you can't visualize for 30 hours, you can't (laughs) visualize a marathon, right? But you can get a sense of different, there's two different types of visualization. There's the finish line, there's the result visualization, what it will look like, how it will feel, who will be there, what your feelings will be like, the joy, 
sometimes even a pre-mortem where you're planning on um, what went wrong, what could go wrong and how I'll feel when that go happens so that we can also, again, course correct and, and adjust to that. Um, and then there's the during visualization. How do I want to execute during this long event? So what will that feel like? What am I fueling? What am I hydrating? What am I pacing? What am I doing when I hit a valley emotionally? What am I doing when I hit a peak emotionally? We've all been in events or done things Things where it feels amazing and you're like, I got this and no problem and we're doing this. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. This is really hard. This is really difficult. Um, there's a lot of real estate left. How am I going to get this done? Those are the valleys and peaks emotionally we go through in a lot of this. And knowing how we're going to respond, not react, respond to each one of them is part of the visualization exercise that you can sort of have answers for everything that will come up. Control the controllables is what a good visualization exercise is so that when the uncontrollables happen, you have an open mind. Your cognitive load is limited um, and is not fatigued to deal with the unexpected that's coming up because for everything else, you have a plan yeah. or at least you've thought it through. You mentioned those peaks, right? Like where all of a sudden, oh my gosh, like that fear kicks in. Have you uncovered patterns that are consistent across your athletes or even for each individual? Are there consistent patterns to when those peaks and valleys kick in? A lot of times it's fueling and hydration, right? Really? Get the, so yeah, yeah, just the mental fueling is a big thing. Yeah, huh. big time. When we're low on, um, when we're low blood sugar, our emotions swing and usually into doubt and negativity. It's your classic Snickers bar commercial, right? Where they give them the, here, have a Snickers bar and boom, the person returns to normal. Very similar, right? And you go through those peaks and valleys. So the first thing I say, fuel, um, that they eat something when you're feeling crappy or you're doubting your abilities or your capabilities, right? Um, and then usually I would say 80% of the time that's enough because again, they're prepared for the event. We've trained for it. We've gone through that, but the other question then becomes, you know, things like pacing and things like mindset, where it's what do we need to adjust and your ability to see yourself, what we would now call like sort of a drone view. How am I doing? You do a body scan and question, you go through a checklist of things. What am I doing? How am I doing? How's it feeling? What have I maybe overlooked? Am I where I need to be? Am I, you know, fueled, hydrated? What's my mindset like? So you're asking yourself these prompts to sort of take yourself out of your emotions for a moment and get back to executing, right? There's the rational mind and then there's the execution mind. The rational mind is like thinking about how to do this, you know, uh, in golf, what club should I use? How far is the shot? Um, um, you know, what's the wind? Um, what's the temperature? How, how am I going to hit this thing? And then it's time to hit the ball, right? And so then it's time to get this shot done. And then you need to go back to thinking, all right, I got this. I can do this. I've practiced for this. I've trained many hours for this event. Um, and so you're constantly toggling between the two. So when the emotions go low, we move to, I got this confidence, trust, thinking back on the training. When the emotions go high to positive, we go back to, all right, let's think about execution, strategy, all the things I'm doing. So you're constantly balancing between the two. Is that more of an intuitive sense that gets built up over time or can beginners, novices, can, can they tap into that rather quickly or is that just something that just takes time? 
Well, it definitely helps with the training and the simulations that you do and training time and endurance events because you have that time in your head out there by yeah. yourself. You're constantly evaluating your emotions and you build up that muscle for sure. But just your ability to respond to circumstances versus react to circumstances, right? Like yeah, that yeah. space, as Viktor Frankl talks about, between stimulus and response, is your that is basically the same thing. You're basically saying, taking a step back and going, wait a moment, what's going on here? Why am I feeling this way? And never in a form of self-judgment, but more in a form of looking at it completely disattached, right? Like I love how um, Jocko Willink always says, detach, right? Because it's the perfect buzzword, detach. Detach from the situation and then just go and look, assess what's going on and then make a re uh, responsive decision versus a reactive decision. Do you have any, like, is that a preset response that you have your athletes work on? So that way, like, they're, they're programmed, all right, mile mile 50 in this 100-mile race, when I mm -hmm. feel this, this is how I'm going to respond? Or is this just something, there, there's too many variables there, that it's just more of mm -hmm. training consistently over time leads to a better response? No, it's hard because you can't really train 100 yeah, miler. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, uh, the body will quickly shut down. No, but we do a lot of... Um, so brace planning prior, they write it out and we go into deeper detail and deeper detail and why. And, you know, when an athlete already starts with me, they need more than a finish line for motivation. That's one of the first things I write them. I, I need you to have more than a finish line for motivation because these things that you're endeavoring are hard. And I don't mean that from a hard standpoint of, yeah, the distance and so forth, because that'll get easier because we'll train for it. What you need is a deeper motivation in order to get up at 4.30 in the morning to train before the kids get up and you have to go to work. Um, the rainy days, the consistency over time to get ready for an endurance event when you don't have all the time in the world because you have a job and a family. And so you have to carve out these windows of time and that requires more than motivation. It requires a deeper why. It re requires what I call drive instead of motivation. Motivation lights the drive log, but it doesn't necessarily keep going. Motivation is fickle. It runs out. Whereas drive and deeper questioning of why I'm doing this, that comes from a deeper source within us. And that is understanding, well, why do I want to do this? What is the spark that I'm lighting here? Where is that flame going to keep burning when I need to swing my legs out of bed in the morning at 4.30 on a Saturday? Or for example, me, I have to run tomorrow. I have calls as of noon, right? And so I got to get in a 30-mile run before noon. So I got to get up at 4.30, have breakfast, be on the, on the trail by 6 a.m. It'll be dark. And I'll run for about six hours, five and a half hours. You know, I not because I have some sort of finish line for motivation. It's because I want to do the best that I currently can. I want to find out what that potential currently is, who I can be again. There we are again with that, who I can be. And so that's why we do what you already heard, the athlete's mission statement, to create the parameters around who I want to be, but then also find out why you want to be what you want to be. Go and, further on that, and, yeah. Yeah, the, it's the classic, well, if you're going to have a goal, understand who you're going to be when you achieve that goal. 
lots of times we strive for something. And then when we get there, we're like, eh, I didn't really think this through well enough of who I've become. And so having a deeper understanding where that comes from, um, and it's fine. There's times where it's just like, you know what? I love the validation of fin finishing a race, if that's the deeper, darker secret around it, right? We all have a shadow side. And from that, you know, sometimes it is ego boost. But I believe, and I've seen with athletes over the last 25, 30 years, that when they have something deeper than ego, there's a source of energy that lasts way longer and provides a lot more power and is a lot more inspirational. Because in this training, consistency over time, not a lot of hours, but consistency over time, since once again, we don't have a lot of hours, you need a deeper source of energy and you never want to ask, why am I doing this? Mm. How many times do we, especially in athletics, do we wonder, why am I doing this? <laughs> and if you're asking that question, you're on the ego plateau. Yeah. And if we answer that question deeper, then we never ask that question. We have an answer for that. We don't even ask that. Why am I doing this? I am, and it's, and here's the, here's the cliche. You'll like this one. It's um, so often the first response is, well, I want to be a good role model for my children. I get that one all the time. And I go, that's all good and great, but I need more, right? Because your kids aren't up at 4.30 in the morning when you need to swing your legs out of bed, right? Um, or on the rainy uh, in a morning or on a treadmill in the middle of winter in like January in Wisconsin, right? Like it's not going to work like that. Your kids are not going to be the ones who are sitting on the side of the treadmill rooting you on. So we go deeper and deeper and deeper. And it becomes really a question of, you know, what unfulfilled need is driving this training? What unfulfilled need that you can identify, hopefully, and maybe with my help, um, are we identifying that's going to propel you forward? And it's fine, whatever it is, trust me, over the last 25 years, I've come across all kinds of really heartbreaking, difficult stories also. But if they have their outlet via endurance training in order to have this conversation with themselves, to open those doors into their psyche and what's been repressed um, while they're out there in those deep, dark moments of, of you know, 36 hour, 40, 96 hour event, that's good because you need to express what you repress. And the more layers we peel back when we're doing this stuff, the more valuable it is and the more we grow mm -hmm. and we transform into, quite honestly, a better version of who we currently are again. Yeah. How long has that been the drive for you? I mean, I, I know you started swimming when you were five. I mean, two-time Olympian, yeah. like your athletic background's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know um, we're talking what, coaching here, but yeah, we, yeah. We, we, we don't need to dive into history a little bit. But I would just love to know, like, when has that been coursing through your veins from? You know, it was a different process for me because I was very competitive at first and I was driven by competition. But me too, I discovered that deeper source once I let go of the result and just focused on me and my 
best version of myself and continuing to grow intrinsically for the outcome, not externally. And it shifted everything for me. And that it, it only happened via endurance. And it's one of those classic lines, right? Where I go, gosh, if I'd known this when I was swimming, I could have been a better swimmer, right? So this but happened so- post-Olympics? Oh yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I was completely a different type of athlete with a different mindset. Even when I started coaching, I was a lot more, um, aggro for, uh, for, the, for missing the right term right now. And then ever so gently, because I started discovering all those closed doors in my mind, being out there on those long hours of training and self-discovery and self-actualization actually, um, that, I was like, this is what I wish for. And I made my purpose for everybody. If they can discover that, that becomes a beautiful place to be. Yeah. You're a better coworker. You're a better leader. You're more creative. You're more energetic. You're more forgiving. You're more thoughtful. You're more patient. You understand yourself and the world around you better. You're able to give more energy than just receive energy. You become what I call the lighthouse, standing strong and firm, shining the light and protection through all conditions and supporting. And it's because you've you've gone to those places in yourself that have been unexplored and you've created more real estate in your psyche and in your mind in order to give more. Can that happen before you're 24? Oh man, I wish. Um, and I, <laughs> and, and I, I don't say that with an absolute that it can't because there's plenty of athletes that I have. I can think of one young kid right now. He's already asking questions that I wish I would have asked when I was 30, let alone 24, let alone 22. So everybody's a little different. And that brings us back to the narrative, right, of who we become. You know, part of my um, learning in this world of endurance training and sort of mindset was when I went down to uh, Coronado to um, observe SEAL training with Buds. And uh, I was fluxed by this one question of what it is that the not as strong and, uh, you know, physically gifted guy is doing that the physically gifted guy, the guy who looks like the prototypical future seal, and he's ringing the bell before that kid, before not necessarily the skinny kid, but the one that you go, how is he doing this? Right. And so I worked around that problem for about two years, trying to figure out what what's going on here. And a couple of things, Alex Hutchinson, um, who wrote the book Endure, helped me a little bit with this. Um, a few others, uh, uh, exercise physiologist and great coach out of South Africa helped me with that. But um, a lot of it is around the narrative, who we were leading up to that point and sort of what those mental framings have become and the confidence in ourselves. And so to me, it became a question of this. If I, let's say as a swimmer, I'm using, let's say Michael Phelps's um, example now, or even from a lacrosse standpoint of yours, if I took the best lacrosse players, the most talented, the strongest, and also mindset aspect and put his head on your body, what could he do with your body? Not just the delta between what you're doing with it and what he could do with it. In the form of a swimmer, what could Michael Phelps, if 
He put his head on my body. What could he have done more with it, right? That delta, that difference to me is mindset. Hmm. And that's the, so going back to Coronado, it's sure there's a narrative and a history, but that kid who doesn't look like he's going to finish Bud's put his head on the big guy, the perfectly prepared guide body, no problem. Again, the delta is just that difference to put us over the top. And so that's what I tell a lot of my clients also from an executive coaching perspective. It's all in your, what you do above your shoulders is how that's the delta of what mindset can create. And you, we all come into it with this narrative, with this past history, but I like to say, we have no obligation. There's no written contract. It says it nowhere that we have to stick to the story of who we were five minutes ago, right? We have the ability as humans to craft a new reality within 10 seconds from now. And to be like you were saying before, start visualizing who we want to be and start living that out in the now and continuously creating, as Jordan Peterson says, um, putting our potential over our current being. Yeah, Constantly for, living. Yeah. No, no, no. You're, this, I, this literally like lights me up inside because I just, <laughs> I, don't, I wish more people could embody this, right? Like you mentioned the past, that is history, right? There's a bunch of all these little random pieces. And a lot of people unfortunately think that these pieces are going to be assembled the exact same way moving forward. And we forget that those pieces can be reshuffled and we can put them into a better position moving forward. I like, I just wish there were so many people who could like see that and then step into that. Why do you think more people don't? Um, I think they give those voices too much. Um, they have too much fear or um, they give those voices too much credit. And what I mean by that is this is uh, a classic uh, psychology approach that I can't think of the name anymore, but accepting those voices at the table of, of all the things you're going through. What I mean by that is that they get a voice. My doubts my questions, my negative voice on my shoulder, my fears, my trauma, my past stories, they're all here to serve me in some way. They're here to protect me. They're here to guide me. They're there for a reason. And I thank them for their service. But that doesn't mean they dictate the path. They're just an input. And when they sit at the conference table, at the round table, at King Arthur's round table, they're just, they're my cabinet. They're my staff, but I make the executive decision. They're there. Hey, I'd like to raise my hand. I think in the past, you've been hurt by the scenario before you've been let down. You've been, um, your confidence has been shattered in by the last time you did this. FYI, just saying, be careful here. Well, great. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that input. I'm still going to move forward. Or you know what? You're right. Let me factor that in and proceed cautiously. Our emotions are here to serve us. They're not the answer or they don't tell us what to do. And that's part of that respond react. We have that moment to sort of go through and go, what am I feeling here? And why am I feeling it? Okay, makes sense. And the key is to not shut the door on them. Again, repression right? If you repress it, it's going to come lurk its ugly head at some point. It's going to keep knocking on that door. And you can look through the looking window and be like, yeah, nope, not here. <laughs> but it's eventually going to start banging the door harder and harder. And so that's what I tell a lot of my clients is 
use all the skills and faculties and stories and narrative and past history to your advantage and then proceed. Don't let it pull you down, make it work for you. And now, now you're working with history on your side, your own personal history. Like what we always say, you know, failures lead to successes, right? Because if you can learn from them, you can technically change the past because you can apply it in the future and therefore make the past something that was a positive because you learn from it, right? That classic mindset. But taking all that into account and using all of that in order to grow with you and have a team of emotions and inputs constantly observing for you. That's how evolution worked. That's how this whole process started. Like, let's take all our senses and our emotions and have them work towards evolving us so that we continue to do what's best in our world. Yeah. I would love to dive back to, to some of the earlier days for a second, just because you were mentioning just like how competitive you were. Mm-hmm. This, this is something I always wrestle with. And anytime I'm talking with like an elite athlete or an elite coach, I'm, I'm always curious their take on this. Can you become the best in the world in your sport without, let's call it an unhealthy level of obsession? I'm thinking of someone like a Michael Jordan, who literally mm-hmm. is so competitive, it's damaging to relationships and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a slippery slope, right? Because it's like, how do you talk against Michael Jordan? <laughs> um, but just think, you take his confidence and his grit and his resilience and his drive, and then you underline that with a source of energy and confidence that, of course, I'm this good. Of course, I can. This isn't a question of if but how badly I'm going to win. And when you take the negativity out of it and turn it into something more powerful because it's a positive, I believe there's an even next level of success waiting for you because you don't need to use negative energy to drive you forward. It's something I always think is funny. It's like, well, the press, what they wrote about me drove me. Really? Like- (laughs) If that's going to be the reason you're at the highest echelon of sport, um, you guys like that better not be your reason for playing harder. You should play hard because it's your craft. Mm. It's your mastery. It's what you do. And guess what? And the beauty of a Michael Jordan or of that level or a Tom Brady and stuff like that is like they show up, whether it's game 12 of the season or it's the Super Bowl with the same intention and um, clarity on why they're here Hmm. to win, to do my best. And they all have gotten to a point. It's funny, like even a Tom Brady is as competitive as he is, the edge has come off of him, not because he's lost yet, but because he's like, if I do my best, (laughs) you're not going to beat me. And that's what MJ got to also. If I play my best, you're not going to beat me. And so that becomes the superpower. If I do my best, prepare my best, do my best, you know, do all the work, it doesn't matter. 
Yeah, it's been interesting if you follow Brady enough. I'm not a, a, wasn't a Pats fan or anything, but I, I respect the living hell out of Brady for what he's done. But uh, even like his stepping into like his spiritual realm as he progressed in transition was a huge influence for him. Um, so yeah. hearing him at, at this current state or even the past couple of years, how he speaks is so different. But I, but I asked the question uh, because I was watching this uh, this surf documentary on uh, Momentum Surfer, so around Kelly Slater and the whole group he came up with. And I, I did not know enough about Kelly Slater, but he like reached that peak where he was just so competitive and cutthroat and calculated. And I, I just didn't know that about him. And so then it had me asking the question again, like, can you be that upper, upper echelon at an early age without that competitive drive? Like I even think of someone, there's that um, a legendary rugby player, Johnny Wilkinson. I heard him talk about this, um, where he didn't reach that higher level like a Brady until he got older. And so I wondered like, can, can you be 24, 25 and get to that place that they got to when they were 35? It's hard because I don't believe you're mature enough yet and have that sort of life wisdom yeah. in order to apply those tools. Nor should you be. Yeah. You're still, you know, from hormones, coursing through your body. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. It's, there's so much working towards competitiveness at that point that you're not, you're not primed to even think like that. Yeah. And you're the warrior ethos is still so powerful in you than, than it is the thinker. Yeah. I, one thing I, I want to dive back on, you were talking about observing the Navy SEALs down there in Coronado, and then you mentioned mm -hmm. the word mastery a few minutes ago. So what I love is people who've been doing things for decades where, I mean, you've, you've achieved a certain level of mastery, not only in your sport, but also in coaching. So one thing I appreciate so much about people at that level is their observation skills I feel like are unparalleled because they're picking up on patterns and thing the novices literally can't even comprehend yet. I think about this in shutter speed, right? Like if you're taking a photo and you've got six shutter speed, a master might have a, a hundred shutter speed where you're seeing so many different things. When you're observing someone like the Navy SEALs, are there other little things you're paying attention to and looking at? I know this is like an out of nowhere question. I'm just wondering, mm -hmm. are there things you're thinking about, even when working with athletes, when you're just starting, that you're thinking about, you're perceptive of, that most people just wouldn't even think about? Well, that's back to the mental representations we talked about, right? When you're thinking inside the box of representations, when something pops out of that, that's what you notice. And so going into that weekend, it was like eight coaches there, maybe even 10 um, different coaches from different areas and different um, parts of the country and different areas of expertise just to observe because they're always looking for input and vice versa. Um and so I went into the weekend already like, what do I, what's this going to look like? And what am I going to try to learn? And who am I, not who am I going to try to be? I wasn't thinking like that yet, but it was more just like, what, what is it I'm expecting here? And how am I going to get maximized the learning out of this? And so, yeah, as soon as it became a question of kicking out of what I thought it would be, that's when the brain lights up, right? Um, and that's where you start noticing things where it's like, well, that's not what I expected. Is it me that I just didn't have an open enough mind? Or is there something there to learn, grow, understand, dive deeper into, discuss with the other coaches and so forth? So I find that how we live with mental representation is what we do even subconsciously half the time, right? Like our subconscious brain is what? They say 40,000 bits it can process per second and our conscious brain only 4,000. So 
there's a lot happening behind the scenes, but I think we're constantly living in rep mental representations. That's how we work the world, what we expect to be happening. And when it happens outside of that, we trip and fall and we go, hey, what was that? So I think that's a similar case, whether it's mastery or your craft in general, because you have an expectation of what you think it's going to be, then when it kicks outside of that, that's where you should be paying attention. Um, not always do we, yeah, right. <laughs> not always do we pick up on that, but it's like, you know, it's what it, it's, what was it? Um, uh, who said it? Mark Twain, I think when you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. Right. And, and sort of something like that. Um, that's similar. It's like, if you're outside of what is expected to happen, then it's time to start paying close attention. Hmm. I'm wondering for you, when do you, when are you able to more clearly tap into the subconscious and what it's telling you. I'll just say like those early mor mornings for me, like I just tend to get up extremely early, but if I sit there even like immediately upon waking up, it's funny like what the mind, the clarity it has at that time. And I feel like it is at that subconscious level that's coming through a bit more. I, I know for you, I I'm wondering if it's out there on those, <laughs> that six yeah. hour run tomorrow, that's where it's coming out. Yeah, yeah, I'll be, you know, and that's the, not frustration is the wrong word, but there's definitely, it takes longer on some days yeah. to, <laughs> For everything to sort of shed itself and sort of have an aha moment. Um, and not that some some crazy, beautiful, creative thought. No, it's just sort of like, ah, you realize, okay, now I'm truly out here, present, yeah. at peace, and can just sort of do my thing. But I'm a morning person too. I wake up and journal um, for a good good 30 minutes every morning. I would what, say most mornings. Yeah, what is the and, actual journaling process? Are you just free-flowing ideas out or prompts um i re i recap my day the previous day um and then from there i i go through some prompts of who do i want to be today um, what roles am i playing athlete self father leader supporter friend um, because i sort of know what the day is going to bring um, so let's say for example today um, this morning work self leader a call with um, my assistant coaches things like that so leader self who do i want to be in that um, then i went to to swim. Um, so that's my athlete self showing up, right? So how do I want to show up there? What's today going to look like? And the fun in swimming, and I'm, sh I'm sure in many other sports is that uh, only in masters uh, athletics, do you really get into this, but in swimming, you find out the workout once you get there, hmm. right? And it's like a track workout with a track coach being at that you get there and you see what's written on the board. So you can't necessarily think about what the workout is and how you want to execute the workout but it's more your attitude again, your mindset. How do I want to show up today? I don't just want to show up. Showing up to me is, is um, rationalizing. Yes, thank you. Finally, someone someone see the same thing. Everyone's like, life yeah. is like 90% showing up. I'm like, I've shown no. up for plenty of things and I stuck at mediocrity the whole time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> showing up is a B minus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of potential left on the table. Showing up with intention, with them a clear plan of why you're there and the attitude and the mindset, now you're optimizing. And now you're really going to um, accelerate your progress. It's really that simple. And if I'm going to be here, I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to show up with intention. So I play that role. Um, then I knew I was going to podcast with you. So um, who do I want to be for this? And so I journal on that, um, journal on something I want, I'm grateful for. Something I need to let go of is something I journal a lot on. Um, what's carrying on in me, what's taking up space in my heart or my mind 
that doesn't need to be. Um, who has power over me is a, a different way of saying that. Like who's taking up real estate in my mind that doesn't need to? And letting go of that or identifying that and wondering why, what it means to me. So those are sort of, the, that's the process. Re recapping the day is nice because it gets you into the flow of thinking. And then whatever unflow, unfolds, excuse me, just as free flowing, like yeah. you said. Oh, I absolutely love that. Those the the question of shedding. I, I love that. That's something I feel like I, I need to add to my process. There, what I love about questions is is they just can deliver so many better answers for you in life. And and so I'm wondering, what are some of the better questions you've asked athletes that help them just understand the bigger picture in themselves? Well, as you can hear, I ask them constantly, "Who yeah. do you want to be?" Yeah. Right. But also, why does this mean? And not just a deeper why, but how much does this mean to you? Like, are you really willing to do the work to get this done? Or are you just doing it on a whim? Because, and that's fine. If you're looking to explore who you can become and you don't know that yet, that's fine too. Like there's so many iterations of this of, well, I'm curious. I have no idea what it looks like to be, to, you know, run a hundred miles in the high mountains of Colorado. Okay, well, let's back that up a little bit and think about all the processes involved and what can we do along the way so that you get a sense of that. Or I have an athlete, he just flew out yesterday. He's running across the Saharan desert for five days or uh, seven days um, at the Marathon de Sable, right? He's never done anything close to this before in his life, let alone camped and carried his own food for a week through the desert. Um, so we went through many simulations and iterations of that. And so it's a question of guiding them to recognize what is becoming important to them. Because in this process too, of adding the endurance adventure to your life, you also see what's important to you. Hmm. You see what your values and principles are because you start recognizing what's taking up time in my day that aren't, that isn't as important to me as the things I really do choose to do. Choice of my day. Um, having that agency on how my day will unfold, how my week will unfold, shows you what your values are, shows you what your deeper principles are. And so all that happens in this conversation, as you heard me say earlier, after six weeks, finding out who this person is, and I always say endurance is merely a vehicle to have the conversation yeah. of mindset. I'm wondering for you, when, when you're mile 70 of a hundred mile run, what's mm -hmm. the narrative like in your head? I, I'm, I'm asking like hoping you're, you're at a darker place then or, or like you, yeah. maybe some fatigue or something setting in. This is, this is the funny thing is that, um, and any hundred mile runner will know this, um, is that sometimes that darkness happens at like mile 20. <laughs> and you're like, no, not already. <laughs> right? But I mean, also those experienced in it know that it, it passes. Right. So sometimes you're injured, you're feeling your worst at 25 and you're like, I have 75 miles to go or more. Um, and depending on how long the race is and, or the event is, I, I like, I don't like to call them races as much, um, because you're not really racing, you're surviving your way through a hundred plus miles. To the yeah. Mountains. I'm not an endurance athlete. So the language yeah. here, please forgive me. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I call it race all the time too, but, uh, so it's, and it's difficult for all of us. It's not like suddenly, you know, this becomes easy, maybe for the elite elites who are runners all their lives. And they're just sort of prancing through the woods for 
14, 15 hours. But for those of us, it takes 24 to 36 to 90 hours to do some of these big multi-day stage races is, um, yeah, it's, it's evolved over the years. In the beginning, it was like, I still have 30 miles to go, like you said, with the 70 miles. And this is miserable, but just sort of stay here. It won't get worse. You know, every step gets you closer to the finish line. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. It's evolved now to this is exactly where I want to be. Oh, this is where, yeah. this is where, this is why I signed up to do this because I want to be on this edge. I'm familiar enough with the difficulty of the edge that I like being there because only there on the edge do you learn the most about yourself. Yeah, I, I want to like hear you go. I, I I love this concept. It's a thing like I try to get to where I feel like most times we try to push off like that 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 horrible place, right? Like that yeah, deep dark yeah, fear yeah. cave. And I, I coach coach me through this here because I'm trying to collapse that timeline as quick as possible to get there to find like almost find the joy in that moment. Is that like the wrong? Yeah, but you approach? can't force it. You can't force it. It comes. It's like the muse. The muse shows yeah, 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 yeah. up when it's time. This. It doesn't. It doesn't just. You can't go searching for the difficult moments because they come at different times. Yeah. And, but you have to. And you. Oh, we always do recognize when it comes. Yeah. I mean, once you're in it, once you're in the deep misery and you're questioning yourself and your capabilities, it's sort of like this aha moment. And and way back, it seems like it's way behind your eyeballs, way back in the recesses of your deep brain are you, is the voice yeah. where it says, this is where you want to be in this suffering and in this misery. And I'm in pain throughout and I'm achy and I'm four days into you know sleeping maybe 40 minutes a night and I'm low on calories, and this is awful, that you see a beautiful sunrise in the middle of the mountains and you go, yep, hmm. this is why I'm doing this. Not because of the awe and the beauty of it, but because you realize that just continuing to move forward, beauty will present itself. Life will present itself. Opportunity will present itself. Insight will present itself. So much is just on the other side of that difficulty that you're always curious of what's around the next turn, what's around the next difficulty, around the next self-doubt, the next question mark. I just made, I had to make a note there on that timestamp because I'm definitely going back in the transcript to, to to see those last 30 seconds of what you just said. Granted, it was coming across in your late night DJ voice, um, but that yeah. was that was that was incredible. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot you, of people, a lot of people give me a hard time. Not a hard time. They say that voice. It's like they put my podcast on to fall asleep. <laughs> I'm like, great. <laughs> no, no, I, I thought your, your your clarity and just the overall soothingness is, is incredible. One one thing I am really intrigued by is your ability to get yourself and then your athletes that subconscious space of like absolute certainty they're going to finish. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. how you think about that, right? Like, I, I guess I'm thinking about that as showing up on event day with confidence in the ability. I'm just wondering how mm -hmm. you think that through. Well, there's two paths there, right? There's confidence and ability. If the training's been done to the best of your ability, your current ability, not your overall ability, because that's a high bar to always strive for. And that's not reality. That's perfection. That's not progress. Um, but then there's also those that show up and they're not as prepared as they want to be, or 
as they could have been, but usually it's as they want to be because life got in the way. And as I said to a client a couple of weeks ago, before he did Ultraman, I said, never defer, never defer. You don't know what will present itself when you're doing the work. And sure enough, in his case, and I'll answer your question with regards to my clients, um, in his case, because he showed up completely unprepared, by the way, like for a three-day multi-stage Ultraman Ironman event. So three days of just nine, 10, 12-hour days. Uh, they The swim was not canceled, but it was cut off because the conditions were so bad. And that was the thing he was worried about the most. Hmm. And so now it presented a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do the event without the swim and still be called an Ultraman and guess what? Because he didn't defer. Mm. He put himself in the arena and he gave himself a chance. And that's what, you know, we're out on the open ocean on a sailboat. Like we don't know what the wind's going to do, but we have to be there with the sails ready and see what presents itself. And this was the beauty. Like, that's why I say never defer, even to my athletes though, that aren't as prepared. Now, I don't want them to get injured and I'll guide them through that so that they don't get injured. But I 100% believe you're capable more than you know you can achieve. Um, and the endurance space is who we're meant to be. We're for evolutionarily, we're designed to be endurance animals. But we've lost our sense of, and um, that inner voice that, that just knows we can go along. We've lost that sense to be able to connect with that and realize how far we can actually push ourselves. Mm. As I was telling him during the event, don't let the mind tell the body what it can't do. Mm. The body knows what it can do. Yeah. Don't let the mind get in the way of that. Trust your body. And he finished. With zero training, he just finished a 171-mile bike ride, a 52-mile run on pavement. And the first day, instead of the swim, they still did a 90-mile bike ride. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. But, I'm wondering for you, like, analyzing everything that, that you've done, what, what, like, I don't want to say, like, you're proudest of, but what moment do you look back on it and be like, you know what? Yeah, I, uh, I found a lot of deep meaning in that. Good questions. I appreciate these. Um, that's a good one. I When I won my age group in Ironman in Hawaii in 2015, I think it was, or 2016, I can't remember which year. I'd been going to Hawaii for 14, 15 years. I'd been 40 Ironmans in already. <laughs> um, I mean, I raced it professionally for a while and did a lot of Ironmans, but I got to a point in like 2014 where I looked at my training partners and I said to myself, you know what? Or I said to them, excuse me, I said, I know I'm going to win this. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And it was a deeply changing moment for me, back to what you were saying earlier, when you went from competitive to just knowing and just having that maturity. I knew I was more prepared more skilled, more experienced than anyone in the field. And all I needed to do is happen on that day and just to relax into the moment and let that day unfold. And it did. And it did. And it wasn't my best performance, but it was 
my most powerful performance because A, because I won, but B, also because I let everything that I needed to do happen on that day, hmm. right? It was, it was not a good athletic achievement um, because my time was a lot slower than expected. And, you know, I didn't take good care of my body. I think I lost 18 pounds on that run alone. On the run alone. Um, yeah, <laughs> just dehydrated. Um, yeah, right here I am preaching hot fueling and hydration right. to all athletes. <laughs> and I'm the one who uh, needs like four IV bags at the finish line because you know, I'm so dehydrated. But I just, I just let go. I just 100% let go and I didn't even think of anything. I just let the body do what it needed to do and stop the mind from getting in the way from it. Mm -hmm. And it's one of my proudest achievements athletically in that respect, because it was this beautiful moment of knowing, I know I'm going to win. The year before I was second, but I ran myself from 14th place to second place. And had I had another half mile, I would have caught first place too. Jeez. But, you know, I got some flat tires on the bike and so I had to work my way up. But that's when I already knew. I was like, this is not a question of if, it's a question of when. And it changed the athletic experience for me and also changed my coaching into figuring out just be the best current version of yourself today and the rest will take care of itself. Yeah. Let's work towards that for all my athletes. This isn't about your best. It's about your current best. Because if you're doing your current best and you cross that finish line or you achieve the outcome that you wanted to achieve or even beyond that, because if you're doing your current best, you usually surprise yourself. You have a totally different experience and transformation to see, oh my gosh, I can be so much more than this even because I just have to work on the next current best. Chris, we're I, always growing. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I... I, I I literally just think this conversation is going to change some people for the good. And I, I love it. You're, you're coaching it. What's so great to me is this, anyone could literally listen to this conversation. doesn't matter if you're an endurance athlete, you're a single mom, and this is going to provide immediate value for how you can yes. approach your life. And that, that is why you're coaching. I'm just so aligned with, I love so much. Uh, I, I know we're, we're going to round this out here in a minute. I am curious that like you, you have such a great, breadth and depth of knowledge and understanding across a lot of different things, right? Like you're, you're talking about Maslow earlier, you're bringing up some other things. Clearly you're, you're very well read. Like what are you learning from? Like are, are the books, mentors, wh where are you collecting all this wisdom from? Yeah, um, that's a good question again too. I made a decision a long time ago, you know, relatively, um, about 20 years ago when I started in the sport of coaching that I would not read coaching books or triathlon books, or cycling books, or running books. I would stay far away from that. I still can't tell you who wins these events, who the elites are. Um, you know, I know the legends, but nothing beyond that, because I find that otherwise you're stuck in this sort of, this is how this sport works, right? Or this is how we always do it. I'm more of the breadth of, well, universal psychology, positive psychology, that all stuff, that works those attributes once again, right? This isn't about skill or talent and how well you can run a mile or how fast you can do that or how much you can lift this. This is about your mindset. And so that comes from the great thinkers, right? The books of generations before us that they had it all, the Stoics had it all figured out for us already back then, let alone, you know, 
the Nietzsche's and the Jung's and the Freud's and the Maslow's and the Chick Semihai's and everything, right? Like their understanding of who we can be is the psychology is the science below it. But then there's also a lot of uh, spiritual thinking around higher thinking and subconscious and unconscious and higher sources of energy. And so I do a lot of uh, reading around that too. Um, yeah. Any books in, in those genres you'd recommend or that you've gone back to again and again? Well, yeah, the, the, the one I read every year is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. It's just a good annual refresh. Um, I love that. Um, I do, what else? Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of good books around that. I just need to look up. One of them is uh, that I've always loved that many people, if they read this book, they'll recognize sort of the, the flow of thinking. It's called Running and Being. It's by uh, Dr. George Sheehan. It's a very profound book. And it's a, a, a doctor who lived in the 70s and early in the running movement. But he recognized too potential, what we can become, what happens when we're running, how our mind shifts, things like that. Um, you know, I love uh, the, the rise of Superman approach and the flow states and Stephen Kotler with Art of Impossible and things like that. That's great terminology in there that I use a lot. Um, him and I see eye to eye on a lot of things. But yeah, no, I just, I love it all from uh, yeah. business thinking to, you know, my, my finance background still comes into play every now and then it's across the board, but yeah. that's my, that's my, uh, approach avoiding the sports specific. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah. thinking more on outside the box. Very cool. Chris, this is, this has been awesome. We're, I'm just going to round this out with just a, a couple ones. I'm generally like yeah. really curious on for, yeah. for you. What has been the most impressive endurance feat you've ever seen a human do? Is, is there one for you that you still are like, I, that was just insane what that person did? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's some fun things. I mean, I love the Olympics. Yeah. I love the, the, because to me, an athletic feat, if you think about it through and through, being able to show up on one day, once in your life to do the event that you have trained for and put all the marbles in, you can't show up tomorrow and do it again. You can't like, it has to be that day. So much has to be fine tuned to that. So there's a lot of those, you know, amazing swimming events, amazing running events. Um, that's the difference with endurance is that you can sort of settle into finding your day. So of course there's been some incredible achievements in the endurance world, but when there's an opportunity to pull out and show up next year, yeah. it's different, yeah. right? But doing it that day, like again, like what we talked about, whether Tom Brady to, you know, MJ in the finals, like you have to do it here and now. Yeah. It's game seven or that to me is, again, that's the mental game, yeah. right? You have to show up so strong. Your body knows what to do. And now, it's not a question of listening to your mind. Add the mind to this component. Let the two work in harmony so you're operating at a higher level, again, flow state, um, that those are more impressive to me. Mm -hmm. Or you just like, wow, with that pressure on you, even golf, right? The mental strength of golf to do something so skilled, so patient on that 
day with 25 people chasing you, let's say even more with regards to sometimes they're tied and score with you. And to have the mental strength in that moment to hit that putt or hit that shot without error, without flaw, it's unbelievable. It's so much fun getting to hear your perspective and how you think these things through. If you could work with, with anyone, uh, I, I'm not thinking of an endurance athlete at all. I, I'm wondering if it's an athlete in another sport or a business titan or someone like that, if you could work with any one person, who would you just love to do that with? That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, you know, of course, the Steve Jobs example is always a great one because his thinking and his creativity and how he thought outside of the box, I love that. Um, but that's a that's no longer possible it's hard to think of somebody uh i've i've worked with so many amazing people and here's what i'll say though some of the some of the most fascinating meaningful powerful athletes are the ones that i never i started working with them and they just developed into that person i like to always say you know, uh, there's athletes with the most potential and the least potential. And you, people might go, oh, what kind of a pompous thing is, this, is that to say? I find those that are already elite athletes, professional athletes, they have the least potential. Their ceiling is not far away or how much they're going to grow is a very small percentage. But you give me somebody brand new who is untapped and grows physically, mentally, spiritually into this beautiful, powerful lighthouse that I was talking about, a person that now emanates energy, joy, passion, success, confidence, and makes the world a better place. That's success to me. And that's an athlete with the most potential. I love that perspective, that insight there. What about if you could interview anyone dead or alive? Long form conversation like this. I know you have a podcast. Most of the time, it's just you on yeah. the mic. But it, I don't know. Is it there one of those psychologists, someone that you would just love to just sit down with all night and interview? You know, this is an easy one because this one I always I always have an answer for. And it's funny. I could probably just call him up, Lance Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's something about his story, about his mindset, about how he went came crashing down that there's a psychology and there's something deeper there that I'd love to have a deeper conversation around. Nor, not that he would ever open up like that because this is truly personal stuff. But if, when you ask me, who would I want to have a beer with where there's no mics on? That's the person. Yeah. I, I can't I've raced him a few times um, in triathlon when he was in triathlon and him and I butted heads a few times back to the ego cocky <laughs> competitive aspect but um i think he's changed and i know i've changed so i think it'd be a fun beer yeah. to have I, I can't tell you how many hours of interviews I, i've watched or listened to of his i'm fascinated with him so i i if that ever happened that would be a fascinating conversation chris th yeah. this really has been awesome I, i'm not lying i i think this is really going to change some people i definitely want to make sure we link the listeners up with you if they are interested in your coaching services because what you do you, you make incredible changes for people in their lives, which is going to obviously impact everyone in their life. And like you mentioned at the outset of this, it's not just professional athletes or anything like that. It, mm -hmm. it can be the the everyday person. So I, I would love, Mike's open to you. I would love to know where listeners can stay connected, get involved in your coaching services, everything like that. Yeah. Um, most of my information can be found on aimpcoaching.com, A-I-M-P coaching.com. Um, that stands for AIMP stands for advancing the integration of mindset and performance. 
that's sort of the acronym for that. Um, and then I'm on Instagram mainly with uh, as AIMP coach, A-I-M-P coach. So that's usually the best way, but anybody can always send me an email. Um, as you know, I'm pretty responsive and, and I get back to people right away with um, Chris at aimcoaching.com. So that's, those are, those are the places to find me. As always, it's going to be linked up in the show notes and the transcript as well. But Chris, I can't thank you enough for joining us on What Got You There. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a great conversation and some fun, uh, challenging questions. You guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode. Code. 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 Code.